0: Uh, There's been various ministries and things that I've gotten to see. Earlier this month, I went to something called Lunch Bunch. And as the the name describes, it's a bunch of us who get together for lunch. Uh, And we had food there. And Pastor Mark said, hey, why don't you just share your story? He put me on the spot. I said, why don't you share part of your story? I said, okay. So I started from age zero to now. And I said, here's part of my story. When I was born, I had a hole in my heart. Not like the country music, you know, a hole in my heart, but literally a hole in my heart. And I, I had to get surgery when I was a little bit older than Caleb's age. And so as a result now, I have a, a big scar down my chest here. Um, it hasn't really bothered me that much in life. It hasn't really caused any complications. It hasn't prevented me from playing sports and doing all the things I love to do. It hasn't really bothered me in any way, shape, or form, really. And I don't actually think about it at all, except for when I'm at the pool. Uh, Tis the season for the pool, but not in June, apparently, because the weather has been rainy, right? And hopefully July and August, we'll be able to get to the pool more. And usually, once or twice a summer, someone will say something like, hey, what happened to your chest? And I say, you know, I had surgery. then they go into the a story, and they usually have a surgery. And we, you know, we essentially become friends. Uh, over, over surgery, and over scar, we, we have a common denominator, uh, but before I ask the question, I tend to not think about it. Um, the point of that illustration is that I've become so familiar with the scar that I don't stop to ponder its, its significance. I wonder if we do that sometimes with famous Bible stories, Bible stories that we know really well, like Jesus feeding the 5,000, or healing such and such, or walking on water. We see those and we say, yeah, that's for the kids. Study that for VBS. Give me something on parenting, or work, or money, or whatever. It's very good to study those subjects too, but I feel we've probably become so familiar with certain parts of the Bible that we've become over-familiar with it, and we don't stop to ponder the significance of famous passages In Scripture, And today's passage is from the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23. Having lunch with someone yesterday, he told me this is my favorite psalm. This is my favorite Bible verse. For some of you, it's your favorite Bible verse as well. But I have a sneaky suspicion that some of us are so familiar with it that we don't stop to appreciate the beauty of the metaphors of the way that the Lord truly does care for his people. And so what I want to do this morning is essentially go through this verse by verse, And hopefully unpack some things there that you may have not considered before. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. Starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we just reiterate what Jordan said about your presence this morning. Thank you that you are here. You're always here. In the valley, in the mountain, you are for us, and you are with us. Help us to believe that. Please allow this passage to bring relief and comfort and encouragement to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 23 is one psalm of 150 psalms. They're actually songs. They're not meant just to be read. They're meant to be sung. Uh, The psalms are the official hymn book of the Bible, so you sing them privately in your devotional time. And as a church, we should occasionally sing the psalms. That's what they're there for. They are hymns. And in the psalms, there's various kinds of psalms. You get the psalms of lament. Most of the psalms are lament, where the psalmist is grieving something. He's frustrated, so he cries out to God about something. Dee was just sharing about Grief, share, part of healing or emotionally getting into the word is reading the psalms for oneself and seeing the laments that are there. There's the messianic psalms that points to the Messiah in the New Testament, namely our Lord Jesus. Royal psalms. This psalm here is a psalm of trust or a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of trust and confidence in God's care and provision for his people here at Bethesda, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm newer, and, and, and most of you know the context better than I do. But from what I can gather, we are a multi-generational church. Literally, there's so many families here. You know, parents go here. And you know, such and such they go here. All these families, and Christian faith has been very important for you your whole life. You can't remember a time where you did not know the Lord, which is a huge blessing for some of you. You're new to the Christian faith, or you're still maybe searching out what is Christianity all about? Do I really believe in this? Whether your faith is really strong, or whether you're still learning the the ropes of Christianity and trusting in the Lord, all of us, to varying degrees, struggle to trust the Lord for His provision and care. We struggle to trust the Lord for His provision and care. We remember that one time he provided 20 years ago where it built our faith and we were edified only to be like an Israelite who soon forgets and wonders, God, are you going to come through again? And yet, as C.S. Lewis said, paraphrased, learning to trust God has to happen all over again every day as if nothing happens. It's, It's something that we must continually do. We must learn to rely on the Lord for his provision, his care, because he cares for us. And the question becomes, how exactly does the Lord care for his people? And in this psalm, we see two ways, two metaphors. The the Lord cares for his people like a shepherd. The Lord cares for his people like a host. And so we're just going to go through this and see how the Lord cares for his people like a shepherd and a host. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's already a metaphor. Shepherd is a metaphor, right? In the Bible, there's various times where the Lord is referred to as king, Ruler, deliverer, judge. Showing his toughness. But here he's meek and mild and it's shepherd. He's tender. He's not just a judge, he's also a shepherd. And King David himself spent a lot of time with sheep. He's the one who wrote this psalm, so naturally he will use metaphorical language like a shepherd to show how the Lord relates to his people. It's designed to show the intimacy and the nearness and the leadership that the Lord wants to have with his people. Um, So you ask, what do shepherds do? Uh, Shepherds feed, nourish, provide for their sheep. Uh, Shepherds scare away wolves that come to attack the sheep, showing how they protect the sheep. Shepherds lead and guide the sheep. Provide for the sheep, care for the sheep, love the sheep, protect the sheep. In all these ways, David is saying, hey, this is how the Lord relates to you if you are part of his people. He cares for you, he provides for you, he protects you, he guides you. And he says the Lord is my shepherd. My, me, I. You see this intimate personal relationship. He doesn't say their shepherd, our shepherd, my shepherd. He says my shepherd. Uh, sometimes some generations talk about my personal relationship with Jesus. That's very true. Uh, we want to avoid individualism, right? So I know some people who love Jesus and love the Bible, but they don't, you don't love the church. That, that's actually not the correct route. We want to love Jesus and his church. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're called to be in community with one another, right? We want to be careful when it comes to too many individualistic terms, But we can't help but see here that the psalmist is saying that the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying he's my God, and it's appropriate for one of God's people to say the same. It's showing the intimacy that the Lord wants to have with his people. Uh, In the the Hebrew, the Lord is, is connected to I shall. So the Lord is X, I shall Y. And here it's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now what does David mean when he says, I shall not want? Tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean he gets all that he wants. Nobody gets everything that they want. Our hearts are sinful, and if we always got whatever we want, it would ruin our character. The Lord is wise and he knows what we need. And so, when David says, I shall not want, what he's saying is, all my needs are provided for. You can see the contentment and satisfaction that he's displaying with his words. There's a difference between needs and greeds. Needs are the things you need. Uh, Sometimes we talk about like a bigger TV, a nice vacation. Uh, Please go on vacation. Please enjoy that. We're under Christ. We're under grace, not law. We can have a bigger TV. We can have a bigger bed. All those things are great, but sometimes in our individualistic 21st century, we tend to put things that are in the want category and the need category and as a result, we're not content with what God's provided because our hearts are always wanting more, bigger stuff, more stuff. As one person said, uh, "Greed and materialism is a sin, and almost nobody thinks they're guilty of it." <laughs> almost nobody. If you, if you ask, <laughs> if you ask anyone, "Are you materialistic?" No, not at all. But if we search our hearts, we see often that our hearts are discontent and restless. Because we want more. We're not content with the life that God has given us in our lot in life. And here the psalmist, David, is saying, I shall not want. He's showing that he's grateful for what the Lord has given him. And an Israelite, remember the Bible was written for you, but not to you. First, it was written to someone else. And here in this context, the Israelites, when the Israelites would have read, sung, and received this in their community, their minds, as our minds, should be shaped back to the Exodus and the book of Exodus, when uh, the Israelites escaped Egypt under the Pharaoh and all the slavery and all the difficulties they were going through, and they went to the wilderness and they were wandering and wavering and wondering, God, are you going to provide? Are you going to show up? Are you going to give me the food and water to sustain me? And the Lord does, and they grumble, and then the Lord does, and then they grumble, and the Lord is faithful over and over, and over again. And the Israelites are meant to be be reminded, hey, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He provided for us when we left Egypt. He's going to provide for us again. Remembrance, spiritual remembrance, is a key component to building your faith. One reason why we tend to get so discouraged is because we forget about how God had previously come through for us. We pray, we pray, we seek. We want this, we want that. We ask for this for our kids and this, and, and God comes through in some way. Maybe He doesn't give you exactly what He wants. Your circumstances change, and then you're thankful, and then you're quickly on to the next thing. And it's just this is the cycle of restlessness, the cycle of wanting more and wanting more, and not not stopping to be content with God's provision in your life. But one way to remedy that is to is to think about the way God has provided for you in the past. And let that fuel faith for the present, knowing that He will continue to bri- provide for you in the future. Verse 2 He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, green pastures, still waters. The grass in Palestine wasn't always green, the water wasn't always still. So the psalmist is saying, Green pastures and still waters. He's using metaphorical language still. He's saying, He's showing security, He's showing refreshment a place of relaxation, a place of spiritual renewal. I wonder how many of you today walk in and you're feeling weary and burnt out and just frustrated. You need to rest in the Lord's presence to seek Him because He is the one that provides the spiritual, supernatural renewal to strengthen your soul. Verse 3, He restores my soul He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Once again, he restores my soul, spiritual refreshment, renewal. He says he leads me into the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, As one study Bible points out, righteousness here is seen as a blessing, not a burden. Right? Uh, When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, when you trust and receive in him, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But also theologians will talk about the imputation that he gives, the imputated righteousness that he gives to all of his people. That is, his right living is accredited to you. And that's how God can look at you without any wrath, because when he sees one of his children, he sees his son. Imputated righteousness. That's not the kind of righteousness that the psalmist talking about. He's just talking about right living, uh, being godly, being holy, loving the word, obeying the word. That's the path to joy and spiritual renewal. Our culture, those who do not walk with the Lord, or those who are against Christianity, uh, they might say, look at those smug Christians who go to church, or you know, they may not understand why we want to honor God, or why we, our lives look different than them. There's a lot of criticism that comes. and The lifestyle of not walking with the Lord or continually disobeying the Lord, as some of you have experienced, is fun for a little while. It is fun for a little bit. And then there's hollowness and emptiness and personal destruction. Right? It's because those who are not walking with the Lord are not being righteous. and are not obeying him. And here in the psalm says, He leads me in the path of righteousness because righteousness is one aimed spiritual renewal, experiencing this grace that God wants to give. So We see this green pastures, still waters, restoration. The question is, why? Why does God want to give this to his people? Of course it's because he loves his people and he wants to see you edified and built up. But here in this psalm, we see, he says, for his name's sake, over and over again, the Lord promises in the word to to be for his people, to provide for his people. And when he does that, when he blesses you, it glorifies his name. And so by being committed to your good, God is also committed to his glory. So he's a faithful God. So yes, 100% is for you, but he's also 100% for himself. 100% 100% secure in who he is, and since God is committed to being a faithful God, he will always be faithful to providing for your needs. We, we get to verse 4. We see a change. Psalms says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 2 and 3, we see green pastures, still waters, restores my soul. You, you think you're in a, a field with your best friend and you're drinking something and there's all this, this joy going on, and you feel all these fuzzies on the inside. And then suddenly the tone changes. There's danger. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some translations say, even though I walk through the darkest valley." This is an extremely scary image. What is, what is David saying here? What is he, what's going on? A, a valley uh, in that day was between a hill and a mountain. So you think of a valley, a really low point. right? Sometimes people say when you're on a mountaintop, you're high. When you're in a valley, you're low. He said so I walked through the valley, and a valley is a really low point between a hill and a mountain. And in the valley, in David's days, you you didn't go there, you didn't want to be there. The reason is because down in the valley there was a potential floods that could sweep your life, wild animals that could destroy you, outlaws who can take your life. <laughs> he said floods and outlaws and potential beasts. And he says, "Even though I walk in the valley, I'm not afraid of any of those things that can potentially get me." I mean, some of us get nervous and anxious, and we're so restless all the time. And here, David, on the opposite, is saying, even though these potential threats of danger are right there, I'm not going to fear any evil. Notice he doesn't say, I won't experience evil. He doesn't say, I haven't experienced evil. He's not promising an easy life. He's not saying if you're a Yahweh worshiper, or if you trust in the Lord, you won't experience evil. He's not saying that at all. Because we know that David, from studying his life, he experienced many evils. He's saying, I will fear no evil. The emotion of fear. Why is that? He says, uh, I will fear no evil. He gives the answer right after that. He says, for you are with me. Because the Lord is with him, the knowledge of the presence of God his perfect presence casts out the fear. Because the psalmist knows that the Lord is with him, he has no fear. This is the central affirmation of the, of the psalmist. For you are with me. And that's what God's speaking to us today through this passage, that he is with us. He is with us in the valley. He is with us with potential danger in the future. He's with us in our present circumstances. It's his presence that helps cast out fear. We don't always know why hard things happen. Uh, sometimes they're for our discipline and protection. Not always, but sometimes we know that because right afterwards he says, "Your rod and your staff, they comfort me." A rod is like a fishing rod or, you know, it's a big piece of metal for uh, many commentators believe it's for protecting the sheep from wolves. But the stick, the stick is for discipline for the sheep. And the psalmist says the stick brings comfort. <laughs> discipline is comfort. We, we don't typically think that discipline is comfortable. We don't typically think that when the Lord brings hardships and there's various things where he's chastising us or purifying us or making us more like Jesus, we don't typically see that as comfort. But the psalmist is saying, hey, I trust the Lord's hand. I trust what he's doing. And I trust that his discipline in my life is for my comfort. This is an amazing verse that shows that even when we go through trials, the Lord's discipline, His protection, and His presence is with His people in every step of the way. There's something powerful about presence. Uh, we have we have a son. I'll tell you a quick story. We have a son, new parents. I know some of you have been at this parenting way longer. Um, so babies cry. FYI, I don't know if you knew that or not. I learned that back in January. Uh, we we had our first son, and when he came home, it was just cute and love, just, just amazing. And then about a weekend or a couple days in, and realized I'm getting up every hour. okay, this is a new adjustment. Learning things about life. Um, feed him. Uh, there's other things that we can do. Uh, there's a couple of times, this actually happened several times, where after crying a lot, I would just go to him, pick him up, and just put on my arms, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. You were sleeping, but you said weren't. I, w- I wasn't going to text you for help, so I just I pick him up and just say, hey, bud, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. It's going to be okay. And so many times you would stop crying after I did that. And I don't know all the psychological and emotional benefits of appropriate touch But there's something about someone's presence that helps with our fears. Uh, Dee shared about the the grief share. uh, Simply just showing up to a room where other people are, are present and are for us and are listening can help in our healing, can help with our fears. There's something powerful of someone's presence. Imagine the Lord's presence who is with us. This knowledge of understanding that he is with us gives us the motivation to be able to handle present fears and potential future fears. That he is with us, that he is for us as a people. And for, for David's audience, they were struggling with provision, of food, drink, housing, where am I going to live? Am I going to live in this tent? Am I going to have water? We don't struggle with that. We don't struggle with that in our society. Uh, for some of us, it's you know nursing homes, or am I going to be alone towards the end? Surgery coming up baby on the way. Some of us worry about struggle in the valley of school or parenting. We feel alone. Some of you are from the generation that says, if you want something done, do it yourself. And you get a lot done. And you get a lot done year after year, decade after decade. But as a result, there's emotional things going on where it's very difficult to ask for help or It's very difficult for you to relinquish control and trust the Lord. There's, There's zero peace whatsoever when we try to take control of every aspect of our life. Not that we should be negligent and don't go to work and not be responsible. We need to use good, holy, common sense, right? But in the same sense, there's a sense of which everyone has to get to the point where it's like, I cannot control everything. I cannot control what happened to me. God is sovereign over everything that happens and I know that He is with me in this even though I don't understand it. The Holy Spirit, part of His ministry is to bring comfort. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So part of your job in the trial of marriage or parenting or whatever is to cry out to the Holy Spirit for comfort and help and He supernaturally intercedes for His people. Uh, Pastor Mark and I have, to, you know, nursing home visits and hospital visits. Admittedly, he does it way more than me. Uh, but I just thought to myself, as I was preparing this sermon, you know, what would it look like at Bethesda is if, if one of our own were sick, in the hospital, nursing home, if we went to go visit them? It doesn't just have to be the pastor all the time. We, we want to go visit someone or help them in their grief. Bring them a meal, pray for them, encourage them. I heard someone say once that if you want someone to know that God loves them, you can't tell them. You have to show them. People don't learn that God loves them by being told, but by being shown. And as a community, if we took seriously one another's struggles and valleys and these kind of things going on and bless one another, I think by doing that, we would reveal more of God's character and disposition for his people namely to be one who is a shepherd. When God wants to get stuff done, he uses people. Consider consider ways in your life, in your ministry, and here at Bethesda in which ways you can be a blessing to other people and to bear burdens, but also cast your burdens on trusted Christian friends who can help you when you feel like you're in the valley of the shepherd. The good shepherd wants us to help us, but then we get to scene number two, the Lord cares for his people like a host. This is the reward for surviving the valley. When I say host, I mean exactly what you're thinking, which is like a good host, grandma's cookies, or such such as you go for lunch, or whatever, someone hosting you. That, that's exactly what this is trying to portray. Uh, a shepherd is outside with sheep, and it's outside, it's dirty, it's cold. It's, you know, it's great to be a shepherd, but being a host, now we're going inside, and the reader or the singer is to imagine closeness with the Lord, that he wants to bless his people like host, Recently, I uh, was hosted by a friend. He's a bivocational pastor in town. Went to his house. Door was open. Kids are running around, smiling. Nothing but there's coffee and all kinds of food on the table, and wife is super sweet. Enjoyed a great conversation. Um, we got to pray. We got to hang out. And then he took me home. Twenty-minute drive home, and I left thinking to myself, "That was that was fun." That was refreshing. It's kind of like what the the psalmist is getting after here. The Lord is a host who wants to bless his people and take them in and refresh them and strengthen them. But not just strengthen them, also honor them. We see that anoint my head with oil. What in the world does that mean? I don't want you to put oil on my head. I'm not going to put oil on your head. But back then, an honored guest as a banquet, an oil was put on their head. So if you're at a banquet and someone's honoring you, showing you praise, perhaps at work, Or your formal place of employment at a banquet where you receive an award or a prize or praise for something. You're being honored publicly. This is a sort of public honoring the Lord wants to give. And then he says, my cup overflows. We will not speculate as to what's inside the cup. I have some ideas, but uh, we'll just leave that there. Cup is overflowing, uh, saying essentially this is symbolism to show that hey, my life is so blessed, I feel so content in the Lord and what he's doing, that I feel, I feel like I'm not just full, I'm overflowing. I'm overflowing. This sort of overflowing joy and peace and contentment is available through the Lord. How many of us can say, I'm experiencing that? We're so busy and overwhelmed. There's all these other things. We just stop to think about who we are in Christ, to meditate on the gospel, to spend time with the Lord, to be experiencing this refreshment that he so desires to give to each one of his people. Verse 6, this psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell on the house of of the Lord forever. Uh, Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Saying that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days amidst the trial that God's goodness and mercy is on my hand. And until that day where we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the commentators take that to mean the new heavens and the new earth where Jesus is present, where we're singing corporately, where all Sin and sickness is wiped away forever, and we have perfect goodness and perfect peace because of one another. Because of what Christ has done, and this host, this great host, is inviting you. If you're not a Christian, to receive His grace, to receive what He's done for you on the cross. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord, to enter into the house and receive the refreshment that the Lord wants to give. This, this hosting, you know, being at Bethesda, pretty new know, we we have ministries that meet here. Praise God, we have a building. Someone reminded me in the 9 a.m. service, 1960 was when we moved into this building. So we've had this building for a while. I think back in that generation, there was a lot of uh, let's meet at the church building to do ministry. It's a great method. Um, I have a lot of friends who are planting churches. By that, I mean starting churches from scratch, and they have nothing. They have seven people and like $10,000, and they're trying to figure out a way to (laughs) You know, start a ministry. It's very difficult to do that. Finding a, a, build, a church building sometimes takes five, ten years. Praise God, we have a building. I think, I think that uh, meeting in the building on Tuesdays or whatever is great, but so was meeting in the home. Some of us come to church on Sundays and we're so busy that we don't have time to get prayer, we don't have time to fellowship, we don't have time to cast burdens. You don't get any refreshment. You feel like it's work sometimes, and some of us are working so hard that, uh, you know, we're, we're missing out on that. One remedy is to meet in the homes throughout the week. Uh, hospitality is a key theme in scripture, so let me let me just encourage you to be generous with your home. Don't clean it. Too much, don't worry about what people think. Not too much, not too much, you know, just a little. Uh, don't, don't worry about what people think, I know, just. I like, to, I like to make our house dirty when people come over just so they can see that we don't have it all together, you know, I just throw some pillows on the ground, so this stuff everywhere, you know, just. My wife doesn't like that that much, but I just. Host people, have people over. You, we cannot possibly get everything we need from one sermon from four songs. From one hour with one another once a week, we need, we need to be uh, regularly you know coffee, lunch, dinner, just having people over, sharing frustrations with trusted people, b- bearing the burdens, but also casting the burdens. I think if we mirrored God by being a host in our homes, we would experience more ministry, you would uh, more friendship, you would feel more refreshed, just cannot possibly do everything on Sunday morning, and throughout the building once or twice a month, but if we, if we have people over regularly, I think we would see more refreshment, and more joy, and better community in the context in the church, so I'll just leave that out there to see what that would do in your mind, in your heart, but I would encourage you to consider ways in that you can be a blessing to one another, and to help those who have scars spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, I have one, I know some of you have them too, literally, figuratively. Um, so we, don't, we have the Bible, great. We have the Holy Spirit, praise God. We also have one another. And part of this is the healing comes from one another. David Powelson, a famous Christian counselor of the 21st century, recently passed a couple weeks ago. And uh, he said this, he says, you will pass through the valley of the shadow of death filled with evils, but you will say that goodness and mercy followed you all the days of your life. I'll say that again. You will pass through the valley of the shadow of death, filled with evils, but you will say that goodness and mercy followed you all the days of your life. How is that even possible? I want to show you how this psalm points to Jesus Christ. In some sense, the entire Bible points to Jesus, and if you want to be a good Bible reader and interpreter, you have to see how the scriptures point to Christ, and if you do, it'll change everything by the way you read the Bible. The 23rd Psalm is about the Lord's care and provision, and in nowhere else than on the cross did God show his ultimate provision and care by sending Christ to die for our sins and rise from the dead. That's our ultimate provision. And yet in Psalm 23, we see this sheep business, we see this shepherd, sheep and shepherd. For New Testament readers now, our minds are meant to draw to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This psalm, points us to Jesus, the great shepherd who had laid down his life for the sheep. David used to watch sheep and risk his life to spare some of them. Jesus doesn't just risk his life but lays down his life not to spare some but to save all God wants to save. Jesus lays down His life for you so that He could be down with you in the valley. If God would give His one and only Son and give up His blood and give up His body, will He not more richly provide for you for your personal needs and provision? Answers, is of course yes he does not promise to spare you from trouble but he does promise to be with you in the trouble let me encourage you to relinquish the control and trust in his grace to help you get through this valley let's pray father god we thank you for your good care for us Please help us to host one another. Please help us to see Jesus in the scriptures better. Help us in our valleys. Help us with our grief. Encourage us, Holy Spirit. pray in Jesus' name, amen.